So I'm really excited to be here. It's our eighth birthday, so that's exciting too. Um, and I'm just, and then we have on the French side, it's they're celebrating their third birthday, and uh, you know, it's just amazing what the Lord is is doing in our midst and around us and in our city. And wow, we're so privileged to get to be a part of this. Um, so. This morning, um, I'm assigned, it's funny because I assigned myself things, but because I was going on sabbatical, I'm like, oh, like, I just need to make sure everything's all set for sabbatical. So I didn't realize the first Sunday I was coming back that I was speaking about money because money is not the greatest thing to talk about necessarily, but actually Jesus liked to talk about it. So um, I'm, I'm excited then. I'm getting on my excited face to talk about uh, finances and money and generosity uh, this morning. So I'm so glad that you're here. If you're new, if this is your first time here, you need to know this right from the beginning that we absolutely love Jesus. We're taken up by him. Uh, we're, we're, we're all about him. Everything in our church is uh, revolving around him. And so, uh, so glad that you're here. If you're here and you're saying, I don't know if I believe in the Bible. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I actually don't really know how I ended up here necessarily. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. And we expect that God is going to speak to you. We don't do this as a religious exercise so that we can just check a box in our week, Sunday done. We come here because we expect that as we're gathering together, the Spirit of God is going to speak to us for our individual needs, but also speak to us for the needs of others. So as I'm speaking this morning, I'm hoping that God is speaking through me and to your hearts or over me to your heart, and that maybe God is giving you something that you would have to share with us as well as a church. So be listening, be listening to what he has to say. So I'm, I'm going to pray uh, again, and, uh, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you that you use your word. Thank you that you, by your spirit, break into to hearts that seem calloused and hard and ready to fight against anything that seems to want to overtake our worldview or understanding or what we've always known is true. Spirit of God, would you be ruthlessly gentle this morning with our hearts? Would you allow for us to see the immense beauty of who Jesus really is, so much so that we would be ready to submit for the first time or again our lives to him as our ruler and our king? We love you and we need you for everything today. Amen. So I don't know all of you. Uh, in fact, I can't really see all of you because these lights just kind of blind out certain parts of the room. But I do know this, that you are one of the stingiest people in this world. Welcome to Church 21. Now, before you leave and you wonder, like, how did this thing exist for eight years with this guy speaking to these people? Uh, let me also say this, that I don't know you, but you are one of the most generous people that I've ever met or not met. So which is it, Dwight? You're a bit confused coming back from your break. You know, are, are we the most stingy or the most generous? And I would just say, yes, absolutely you are. You're both. Now let me illustrate this. I, I don't have a million dollars to give to you, but let's just say I did. If I had a million dollars to give to you, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? Some brave soul, tell me what you'd do. Invest. All right. Anyone else? Pay off student loans. Great. So here's what we've noticed already. These two answers are being generous to a certain thing, but they're also being stingy to something else, right? Neither one of them said that they wanted to take me out to lunch after. 
If you had a million dollars, it would have been really nice, Jordan and Jenny, right? (laughs) None of you said that. Welcome back. No, I want to invest, brother. Now I want to pay off loans. I'm not sharing food with you later at the picnic, and then we brought good stuff. Um, But here's the reality, right? We're always generous to certain things and stingy to other things. And it's our desires at the moment that drive us towards these things. We're always generous, and we're always stingy. So I'm going to speak about Jesus this morning. We're going to speak from the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word. We believe that God speaks to us through the Bible. So I want to use this. I'll put uh, the, the verses up on the screen for you, but please note them down and reflect on the greater passages around them later on. If you don't have a Bible as you're leaving today, or you can do it now, you run out and grab one. They're free. We want to give that away because we want for God to speak to you through that. But here's what you'll find if you were to read the Bible and in the verses we're going to look at. Jesus was the same. Jesus was generous towards certain things and very stingy towards other things. And here's the deal. You showed up this morning with your list of what I want to be generous to and what I'm going to be stingy toward. But here's what Jesus does. He takes your little list and he's like, ah, these are so nice. And he puts them on this side and he says, but I'm going to bring you to, to the place where if you're my follower, you're going to be generous and stingy toward my list that I'm going to begin to change the things that you've been doing with your finances and possessions and make them about me. Because if we're followers of Jesus, Jesus wants for us to look like him in the world. The first Christians, they didn't know what to do with this group in the city amongst various ethnicities and languages and backgrounds. And they just called them little Christs, Christians, because they didn't know what to do with them. What name do you give them? So that's actually what Jesus wants for us, to look more like him as we're living our everyday lives. Hence the series, Everyday Jesus Finances. So this means that we're going to change. A lot of you don't like to talk about money or finances because you know or you have a feeling that that you're going to be led to need to change something. And that's actually a good thing because I don't know anyone in this room In fact, I can say it without a doubt. There's no one in this room that perfectly has Jesus's list that they're working out. None of us are generous and stingy perfectly like Jesus was and still is today. So what I want to start this morning with is is this. Jesus and his generosity toward you. I have a little three-point sermon that's coming up later, but let me give you the preamble because if we miss this piece, right? If you're going to sleep, sleep later, all right? Hang on for the first part. Okay, Jesus and his generosity toward you. Here's the thing. We believe that Jesus made you. I believe Jesus made you because the Bible tells us that Jesus made us. We believe that God is one God, three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to drill down into that. We believe that Jesus is God the Son. Eternal, always existed, and that Jesus made you and me. So he's been supremely generous toward you if only he just made you because you're here because of him. But not only did he make you, he made you primarily to enjoy him. The author of all life made you not to just enjoy life, but to enjoy the author himself. There's an interaction between the author and the characters that we get to to enjoy him. That's what we were made for. 
And many of us have an incorrect view of who God is. We think of him as this old stodgy, dodgy man in the corner of the universe that comes down and gets angry once in a while, smites, smotes, smittens, whatever he does. He does bad things to people who mess with him. And that's all we think about him as so often. And we try and get on his good side. Like God's a little angry if I just butter him up, a little giving, church attendance. Maybe he'll love me. Maybe he'll like me enough not to do any of those smiting things to me. But that's not who God is. God made us to enjoy him. The problem is we gave God the finger. I won't stick it up. You know what it is. We gave God the finger, right? We said, actually, God, we think we know better. It happened with our first parents, very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve. They were given a choice. You can keep finding all your enjoyment in God, or you could be little gods yourselves. You could become objects of worship that other things in creation would bow down and see as so powerful and amazing and providers. And they chose that. So in that moment where they, instead of having all of their generosity go toward God and enjoying him, they became selfish with their generosity, that they wanted everything for themselves. We rejected him. And in doing that, we chose ourself. And by choosing ourself, we rejected life. And by Choosing to reject life, we brought death to ourselves. We weren't made to die. We were made for life. We brought death onto ourselves. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because there are no good people. We're only bad. And you're like, ah, that doesn't sit well. I know it doesn't. But I have no comfort for you. Yet. Jesus came into our little selfish worlds. He came into our self-care environments where we were not concerned about him. In fact, we were fine building a world without him, except that world would just come to death. But here's what Jesus does. He comes in to our worlds. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. My daughter brought me a Christmas tree drawing this morning. I'm like, I have, okay, thank you. Like you just say thank you, but I don't know where that came from. But this is what we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation that God being eternal God becomes a man and lives and dwells among us. And he lives a perfect life. And as I was thinking about this this week, it's kind of like a golf scramble. Do you know, do you know what that is? No. Okay, great. Let me explain it. I don't like golf uh, because golf is very frustrating. I like driving ranges where I can play happy Gilmore type golf and just run up to the ball and hit it and then walk away and not have to go get it. I suck at golf. Um, therefore, I will not do it. Here's what a golf scramble is. It's like the sucky golf player goes to play with Tiger Woods and I get to like run and twirl and try and hit the ball and it goes wherever. And then Tiger Woods, you know, very carefully smashes it. And guess where I get to put my ball? Where Tiger's shot went, right? I get to put my ball where his success went. I'm riding his success. This is what Jesus does. Jesus' golf swing is my golf swing, right? That he lives a perfect life for us. He does what we can't do. Because here's the thing. If you can't live a perfect life, you can't be accepted by God. He will not accept you. Doesn't matter how much money you give, how much stuff you do, he won't accept you. So Jesus steps in, lives a perfect life for you on your behalf. He did it for you. Then he goes to the cross and he takes on all of your rebellion, all your sin, all your selfishness, all your, I'm so wonderful, it's all about me. He takes that onto the cross. Most of the stuff that Oprah Winfrey is pushing went onto Jesus because it's not about Jesus, 
right? It's about us. So Jesus wears all of our sin so that you and I can wear the righteousness. We can be made right in God's eyes. And that would be a a detrimental story if Jesus just died. But unlike Iron Man, Jesus comes back to life. Spoilers done, okay? Um, Nope, you had three weeks. I verified it. If you didn't see it in three weeks, and if you missed it, whatever. I'm just moving on. So Jesus is the better superhero that doesn't get pushed off in a basket. Jesus interrupts his own funeral. He's like, Mary, what are you doing? I'm here for a funeral. It's like, who's? Like, here I am. I'm alive. Jesus is the better hero, superhero, that Marvel and DC and every other company is trying to push, right? This is Jesus. And he gives all of his followers what we all long for. Eternal life, eternal value, eternal meaning, eternal purpose. So how do we get in on this? How do we get in on Jesus's generosity? Well, you just take it. This morning, again, his generosity is being offered to you free. There's nothing you need to do except take it and say, I need this. Jesus, I want you. I have lived a life in rebellion against God. I I know that I can't do enough. So I need your perfect life, your golf scramble on my behalf and your resurrection. I need this. And he saves you. He rescues you. You're in. You're part of his family. You receive an eternal inheritance that Jesus earned on your behalf. Right? Not only do we get in and we get to take Tiger's shot, but as Tiger Woods wins the big prize, that's our prize too. This is what Jesus does. You get his prize money. You get everything that he's earned. Listen to what Galatians 4 says. Galatians is the book of the New Testament. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of woman, born under the law to redeem or purchase by back those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this isn't like patriarchal that Paul forgot about the daughters. He's saying that all daughters who didn't really have a place or inheritance at this time, he says, you're all like sons in Jesus. You're all in. This is an inclusive thing. And because you're sons, God has sent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father or daddy. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God, you are spirit filled kids of God. So this morning, I know we're a quiet group, but this morning in your hearts, it should be like, oh, amen. This is good. This is so good. This is bomb for my soul. Right. And I'll just be loud for you. And so we have a dad and here's what our dad does. Our dad provides us everything. Listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, don't be anxious. He's talking to his disciples. Don't be anxious saying, well, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that not the people of God, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly father, he knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, your dad is going to take care of you. Just before that, he's like, he takes care of the the birds. He takes care of the flowers. He's not going to forget about you. You have a dad who's filled you with his spirit and who's going to provide everything that you need. And here's some more good news just before we transition into money. Everything that you have is his. Listen to this, this psalm. 
God says this, every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all of the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. God is saying, I own everything. And as your dad, I'm taking from my storehouses and I'm providing for all of your needs. So as we talk about finances, this is really important that we get at the beginning. Because here's where we're transitioning. Finances are given by God to accomplish his purposes. You get that? Finances are given by God. You didn't earn them. You're like, yeah, I worked really hard. Doesn't matter. Your company could have gone flat broke. You would have worked really hard. You would have gotten nothing. God made sure that didn't happen. Finances are given by God to accomplish his purposes. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, here's the thing. Here's our place. We are stewards of his foundation. I met a person in the park this week. I, I was thinking about um, this, this need in the city and was praying with someone that morning and talking about this ministry. And then I meet a guy in the park that evening who is managing one of these foundations that could actually pay a significant amount for this. So I'm, I'm talking to this guy and I realize like, ah, this is what we are. Like we manage... We're stewards of God's foundation. That's, that's what we are. All of the money that you have now in your bank account and will forever have, it's all God's. And you're called to be a steward of that. And here's the aim of his foundation. To bring spiritually dead orphans to life through adoption. And sending them with all of the resources of God the Father to show and tell of Jesus and his generosity. That the preamble is not the preamble. That's everything that we go and we tell of this great God who's pursuing enemy rebels of him, not to destroy them, but to bring them into his family. This is our good news. This is the aim of everything you have. Every piece of clothing, every, um, these are horrible, but glasses, you know, everything that you have is made for this aim. That's staggering, isn't it? Because we don't think in these terms. We see money come in and we're like, yeah, it's going for that. But ultimately, even that is for this. That somehow everything that we have is for this aim. So here's the focus of the sermon this morning. The seemingly reckless financial generosity. This is what God desires for you. I'm going to say hard things this morning. But they're not my hard things, they're his hard things. I've had to sit with them all week. You just have to sit with them for a few minutes. But I'm praying that you'll have to sit with them for weeks as well. I'm hoping that as you see God's generosity, your heart will become so soft and gentle and excited about being his people on his mission in his world. But as Jesus speaks about money, this is what he's going after. Seemingly reckless financial generosity. Also, let me say this, this is important. It's important for me to say. Um, I have a, a lot of freedom to speak about money because I don't receive money from any one of you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, my wife and I, we moved here, uh, what was it, nine or ten years ago, nine years ago, uh, to begin planting a church. And at that moment, we decided it would be really great to live on support from others outside of our church so that we were free to be about whatever the Lord wanted us to be about in the city. So we still currently uh, live on the support of another organization and individuals of which none of you give to. So as I speak about money, do not hear, 
ah, Dwight's trying to get a bigger salary. Ah, Dwight's trying to get this. I have no secondary motive other than to give you what the Lord has to say about finances in the everyday. All right. And I probably didn't even have to say that, but I wanted to say that. So there we go. Three things. All right. Good preacher has three points. Here we go. Number one, the seemingly reckless financial generosity. The first point is that generosity is expected. If you're part of the people of God, there's an expectation that you're going to be generous. And I'm specifically talking about money. That was a good enough pause. All right. So this is an expectation on us. Giving has always been part of the story of God. The first few chapters of Genesis in the beginning, Adam and Eve have these kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain ends up killing his brother over an issue around giving. It's never gone well when God's people talk about giving. All right. I'm hoping to make it to the picnic today. Uh, But Cain kills his brother over the way that God receives Abel's offering and not Cain's. And we don't have time to get into that, but they understood that whatever we receive, we're supposed to be giving back. Okay. When we get into the second book of the Bible, Exodus, there was this thing where the Israelites, the people of God were stuck in slavery. God rescues them out. And as they're out in the wilderness, God wants for them to make this place where his glory is going to dwell as they're moving called the tabernacle. Okay. And so what God does is he He's going to fill this tabernacle with his presence so that people know that he's in their midst. But Moses takes up a collection for all of the resources to be able to make this thing. And he actually has to tell them in Exodus 36, stop bringing things. You've brought way too much. We have way too many materials, way too many resources to do this. Right? That's something we don't say often in the church. Like, hey, it's September. We just have way too much money. Please do not give anymore, right? Like do something different with it. But that's what Moses has to say. The giving is too much. They understood giving. In Leviticus, third book of the Bible, the law of God, about 613 laws comprised of the law. And there was part of this law in Leviticus 27 that we were supposed to tithe. We were supposed to give a percentage of what the crops that that were grown, the the livestock that were, were mating and doing what livestock do, you know, when they're mating. And we're supposed to like give a certain part of that and a certain part of money as well. So giving has always been part of God's plan, but this is troubling because if God already owns everything and it's all his, why is he making his people give stuff back to him? Why couldn't God just give us enough so that we could maintain our normal lives and just get on with it? Why would he do that? Because here's what giving does to our hearts. Giving is, is, a, is a belief. Giving is hearing that God is generous and then we move in faith and giving believes that God is better than his stuff. When we give, we believe that God is better than the stuff that we have. That God, I want you. I don't want this money. Glad to give it away. I don't want this livestock. I want to give it away. We don't yet have a path for tithing livestock. We really need to work on that. So if any of you are you know, mating sheep or whatever, like we'll, we'll talk to you later about it. Um, but God is better than his stuff. Secondly, giving believes that God will provide. Because when you write a check or you give online or you give in any, any way, it's you saying that somehow God is going to replace that. 
Oftentimes people give what's called the first fruits. So when the first fruit would come up out of the ground, they pick that and they would give that to God, trusting that he's going to bring the rest of the field into harvest. And that's pretty tricky because if he doesn't, they just gave away all their food. Giving believes that we are stewards, that God doesn't just give to me to be a recipient, but now that I get to steward things well and I get to redistribute for the sake of his kingdom. And giving is an opportunity to keep our hearts from being foolish. We do foolish things when we have a lot of resources often. Some people are very wise. Some people are very foolish. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21, of a man who had so many resources that he had to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He didn't see any of the resources as being for other people and for worshiping God. He saw them all for himself. And Jesus said, you foolish man, you didn't know that tonight as you're building your bigger barn, your life was going to be taken from you. All the stuff that you've been working really hard to protect and guard and keep and build secure fences around you and it is gone. You can't keep that stuff. You just can't. So giving protects our hearts from being foolish and doing things like that. And figuring out, well, I have a million dollars. How do I spend it? And here's the, the, the thing. Some of us don't give at all. Some of us give nothing. That doesn't even register in our minds. Now, here's what I want to say as well. Maybe you've never been taught. Maybe no one's ever taught you what Jesus actually expects of the resources that he's stewarding to you. But it's illogical to talk about a generous God who makes selfish people. That's illogical. It doesn't work. A generous God who gives to his people so that they can build a silo to keep themselves and all their stuff in so that no one else is blessed. It's illogical. It's insane. No. Look at what God says. This is a, this is a pretty harsh, harsh, hard, hard, if you bring those together, uh, verse Malachi chapter three, verse eight and nine. God says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, he's speaking for the the priests and the religious officials. Well, how have we robbed you? And then God says, in your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. You're not giving anything. You only see my stuff as being for you. And you're causing for my people to suffer because you don't want to suffer. You don't want to play a part in the sacrifice. You're robbing God. I wish I had more time with some of these areas. But there's absolutely no reason for you not to give if you're part of the people of God. And I know immediately something like went up in your head and you're like, oh, nope, you don't know this about me. Some of you might be in debt and you say, ah, oh, I can't give because I'm in debt. All right, like just take me to chapter and verse. Take me to the Bible and show me where it says that. Because what we're doing is we're being very generous to the people that we decided we were going to borrow from. And now we're going to keep being generous to them. And we're going to say, God, your mission and your vision is going to wait till I get out of debt. 
Oh, and then somehow magically when I get out of debt, then I'm going to become generous. Doesn't usually happen. You build generosity while you're still in debt. It might not sound wise to the world. You might meet with a financial advisor and they're like, man, first we need to kill your debt and then we'll talk about these things. But that's not from God. We listen to the world so often about what to do with our resources instead of listening to God with what he wants to do with his resources. Because the world doesn't know that. They're missing each other. They're talking to me about your resources. What I'm like, ah, his resources. I don't hear you well. Like we're missing each other. So debt isn't a reason biblically not to give. Some of you don't make much money. You're a student. You're like, man, I get like a $5 allowance. You're getting the same as like a 10-year-old. You know, you're like, but that's not a reason not to give. Our children get $2. This is like the big birthdays and losing teeth is when our kids get money. They're like, could I lose this adult tooth too? I'm like, no, that's going to cost you a lot if you lose that one, right? Daddy gives you no money. He takes money for a long time from you at that moment. But they get, they get like these little checks for their birthday from their grandparents and they're so excited. And we sit down and we talk about what are we going to give, what are we going to spend, and what are we going to save? And at this point, we distribute evenly. They give 33%, they keep to save 33%, and they spend 33%. Why do I do that when my kids receive like $10? Because when my kids receive $10,000, $10 million, I want for them to have that portion of generosity moving with them. They're like, oh yeah, the Lord gave this to us. I want to be very generous first. Then I'll think about saving. Now what can I spend? We begin when they're children. Start with a little bit. You're like, yeah, but like, what's my dollar difference going to make? Don't worry about that. It's not about the, the dollars and cents of it. It's you're putting it into the economy of God. God does crazy things with dollars. Maybe you, you receive social assistance. You're like, man, I can't, I can't do this. And so, yes, you can. I know people that are extremely generous that are on social assistance. And it's like everything is left over. They're just giving. You can do this. Generosity is actually expected if you're part of the people of God. But we must give how God wants. You can't give leftovers or extra. Oftentimes that's how we give, right? It's like, well, at the end of the week, I have this much leftover. Yeah, I'll I'll give some of that. No. Looking biblically, it's always, all right, I got all this. God, what do you want me to give from this? And then we give. And then we figure out how am I going to prepare for future and what are my needs? Oftentimes we, we start with our bills and then we figure out what's left over. That's not the way that God wants for us to see our resources because it's not ours, it's his. We're giving what's first and what's best to him. Giving's really a matter of the heart. You can't beat yourself up and be like, oh, yeah, I suck at this, I'm a really bad giver. Like I'm just gonna throttle myself uh, and take it all out on me. Like, oh, bad you. That's not going to make you a generous giver. You might give today, you might give for a few weeks, but sooner or later, your heart will be captivated again by what riches can offer. You see, it's only seeing Jesus as supreme to riches that will free you. That's it. Don't hear me beating you up with, you're not doing this, so just start doing it. It's like, no, see Jesus. See, Jesus is more beautiful than what dollar dollar bills can buy you. More money, more problems. Like all the rappers have been saying it, right? We gotta be giving this stuff out. That's what the Lord wants. Not only is generosity expected, 
But generosity is joyful. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. I can't believe that, that I'm going to receive joy in this. But generosity will only be joyful as we transfer our worship of money to worship of Jesus. Jesus said this, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. So as we transfer our allegiance to our finances and we transfer them to God, then money's nothing. It's like, give me all your money. It's like, okay, whatever. Like here, take it. Do I don't want you to give this much? Okay, fine. Like whatever, it's your money. You're gonna have to refill the bank account and do this, right? Like this is the Lord's job. It's his job. And it's a joy when we get to enter into what God is doing with our resources. So let me tell you two quick stories uh, from the book of Luke, book of the New Testament, Luke 18 and Luke 19. There are two guys. One name is Ryer. Uh, his, he's actually the rich young ruler, but the abbreviation is R-Y-R. So in my mind, I just call him Ryer. Uh, it's a nice name. And then we have Zacchaeus. And that's funny to spell. I can never get the E-A-U right. So I just call him Zach. So we have Ryer and Zach. Uh, two guys that have lots of money. They've earned them from different ways. A uh, rich young ruler probably inherited this money, probably inherited his position. But nonetheless, from money, he's been deriving status, power, comfort, control. It's been great for him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right, as the song goes. And um, he would steal from people. So he got all of his riches from his friends and family that he stole from, and he ended up being a loner, and no one liked him. But nonetheless, these guys had oodles of money. But the other thing they had in common is that they're both interested in Jesus. When Jesus came to town, they both were interested in getting to him and seeing him. And Jesus did this funny thing. Because Jesus never, he doesn't usually go into a city and it's like, oh, you poor thing. And like rub someone's back. And he's like, you know, I'll make it all better. Like you just keep living the way you're living. Jesus doesn't do that. He rarely affirms people. Jesus actually exposes their idolatry, their worship of money. He exposes the emptiness of riches with them. But here's the other good news. Jesus didn't just expose their brokenness. He said, here's a way out. He always does that. He exposes us and then says, here's a way out from your problem that they could have him. See, here's the tricky thing with money. Money promises so much. And the reason why money seems so good to us is because money is this, this empty, deceptive, hollow promise that only Jesus can fulfill. Because money says that, the Beatles said it, money can't buy you love. They tried many times and it hasn't seemed to work. We can't do these things with money. We try and get status with our money, but that's fickle. We try and get comfort with money, but that can be taken away or gone with a tornado or hurricane or flood or whatever. We try and get security with our money, but then some of the people we hire to security actually assassinate us and take our stuff. Uh, we try and get power with our money, but we can't actually get power because as soon as we lose our money, that's gone. We try and get approval with our money. And that's like the 90-year-old man that marries like the 22-year-old supermodel and they're like, they just love me. I'm like, no, they don't. Come on, buddy. Like, don't you have a mirror in your house? Like, she's here for your money. She doesn't, she's not into that old of men. Like she's waiting for you to go so that she can have your stuff. Money tries to provide for us. It says it'll provide for us, but it never does. But Jesus does. He gives us a status as child of God, forgiven, redeemed, beloved. He gives us comfort that in the midst of the worst moment of suffering, he's not bailing out on you. And he's given you the spirit that will comfort you in that moment. 
He gives you security. No one will take you from his hands. He gives you the power of the spirit. He gives you approval from the father. Jesus does what money can't. So let's go back to Ryer and Zach. All right. After the rich young ruler hears from Jesus, look what happens. When Jesus heard that the rich young ruler was saying, oh, I've done all these great things. Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich and he walked off. He knew that money was going to be empty, but he couldn't imagine life without it. So he's willing to say to Jesus, I wish you had something different to say. I guess I'll go and and reconstruct a different worldview around what I wish was true. But then when we get to Zach, I mean, Zach's a scumbag. No one likes Zach. Look what happens when Jesus goes to his house. So he hurried and, and came down. Now Zacchaeus was up in a tree because, well, it's a longer story, but he's up in a tree, comes down and receives Jesus joyfully into his house. Who knows when the last time someone had been in Zacchaeus' house, he received him joyfully. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, right? Everything I've got split in half, it's gone. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, he defrauded everyone of everything, I restore it fourfold. Like he just went broke. This is bankruptcy in the New Testament. Done. And Jesus said to him today, salvation, freedom, rescue has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus lost all of his money in one day. And he's the richest man. Because he had Jesus. Do you see Do you see what Jesus has done for you like Zacchaeus saw? Does your heart get all joyful when talk of Jesus comes? Or is Jesus still this merely intellectual thing and you're trying to rationalize out how all this is going to work? Let him come in and ravage your hearts. Let him shake you so that you see with new eyes who he really is and that he's worth losing everything for. You see, it's not losing anything. Zacchaeus wasn't losing anything. He was gaining everything. The book of Hebrews says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, as he's going to the cross, is joyful. Not happy, like, this is so great, amazing, I'm so happy that this is gonna happen, but joyful because of what was in front of him. Zacchaeus is joyful because though he lost everything, he had the one that his heart was longing for. The last thing is that generosity is radical. You know, if you're going to make an investment, we heard that answer earlier, you're going to make an investment, you're going to research what is going to be the best investment of my money. I've never heard anyone that's like, man, how do I lose, you know, $100? How do I lose $20,000? I'm really looking to waste some money here. I don't hear that. You always research the investment. But here's the thing. So few of us give generously to the kingdom of God, but that's the only investment that's kept going. Every other market will crash. Housing market, Toronto Stock Exchange, Wall Street. One day that won't work anymore. But Jesus' economy, his kingdom, his foundation... When Jesus got up out of the grave, that thing's kept moving. And it's at a steady rate of going up. 
the investment that you get on that cannot be lost because he oversees it all. It's like, well, like Warren Buffett, he manages my account. It's like, well, Jesus manages mine. It's like, he's not going to lose. I can freely give knowing that the investment is going to be eternal. And look at what happens when we see Jesus for who he really is. The Corinthians hear about this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Now, this is strange. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They're being afflicted. Things are being taken from them. Their lives are being taken. But because they see Jesus, they're becoming more generous than they were before. He keeps going. They gave according to their means, right? Give what you have, as I can testify, and even beyond their means. Like they're going without food so that you can eat. Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And this is the equation. You give first to the Lord. You give yourself to him. Lord, I'm yours. I love you. You're poured into by him. And he wants to help you to overflow into areas of need. So much so that you're like, hey, kids, we're not going to eat for three days because those people haven't eaten in three weeks. And we're going to give up so that they can eat. We're going to fast and we're going to pray and beg the Lord to bring us food now. Like, this is what's happening. This is what the Spirit of God does. Spirit of God does this type of stuff too. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. Watch the people putting money in the offering box. That'd be a neat thing. Like we'll just sit here and watch people put money in the offering box today. We won't do that. Many rich people put in large sums and it made all kinds of noise, right? So everyone heard them. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box because they contributed out of their abundance, the leftovers, But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She went all in. All in on Jesus. This is what God invites you to do. God invites us to make seemingly reckless and radical investments into his economy. So I want to end our our Bible time, and then we'll apply, by going back to the parable of the talents at the beginning. The parable of the talents is about a master who had lots of money and uh, he gave five talents. A talent is about 20 years wage. Let's just say one to $2 million. So he gave five to $10 million to one guy. He gave two to $4 million to another guy, gave one to $2 million to another guy. He's like, I'll be back. You know what to do. You know me. So he leaves. The master leaves, comes back a little while later. And the guy who had that five talents doubled it. He's like, master, I doubled your money. He's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You knew me. You know in my economy that things double. Like, good job. Guy with two. Master, I doubled it too. He didn't expect him to make the same amount as him because he gave him five. He gave him two, but he doubled it. Good. Good and faithful servant. You knew my economy. He goes to the guy who has one. Now, let me say this about these other two. Right? They were honoring their master. They were honoring their master by knowing what kind of a man he was. But this other guy was afraid. 
He honors himself. He went into security mode. He's like, I want to keep my life. So he takes it and buries it in the ground so that nothing could happen to it. Master comes back. He takes it out. He's like, look, I, I kept it for you. He's like, you wicked servant. I expected that to be doubled. My economy was really good. Why didn't you double it? Take that from him. Give it to the guy that made, you know, double on the five. Cast him out. I don't, I don't need him. Because what he was doing is honoring himself. He didn't want the master to get more glory. He wanted to live a nice, safe, comfortable little life that he knows the master comes back. He's not going to be too upset. And oftentimes that's the way we live our lives. We don't invest radically in the kingdom. We're like, well, I'll just do my part. What's the percentage I need to give? Like, I'll do that. Yep. So when Jesus comes back and be like, I tithe, I gave my thing. I did it. And it doesn't perfectly carry over, right? Jesus wants our hearts. I don't know what percentage or what amount Jesus wants for you to be giving, but it's clear that he wants for what we're giving to be honoring to him. He doesn't want you to be safe. There's nothing safe about giving, but giving is trusting in him to provide for everything you need. Let me share this. This is a 20-year-old quote from a guy named John Piper. This quote changed so much in the way people thought about giving. It's amazing. I'll tell you what a tragedy is from Reader's Digest. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. And then Piper said, that's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. He said, with all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream of a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a nice swing and look at my boat. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. And we're applying that to finances as well. Don't waste the resources that he has given to you. Before we read, you're robbing me. Look at the second part of that. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. The Lord says this, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God wants to provide massively through you. Massively. I'm convinced that as a church, we're just scratching the surface of what the Lord wants to do in terms of what we're contributing to around the city and around this world. Because he wants the world to know who he is through the generosity of his people. If his people are stingy, what a stingy God you serve. Your resources aren't for you, they're for him to keep adopting more, more people. So... Let's apply it. How can we be generous through our every day? How can we be generous through our every day? First, we stay rooted in Jesus. 
People talk about reading the Bible every day and praying every day as like this, another task list. I gave this week, check. Here's why. Because the Lord wants for you to be generous today. And if you're not staring at the grace of God that you've received, you're not going to be generous. So Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He died for you. He gave you everything. He's alive. Now go and live in light of this generosity. So the gospel is so important to this. The good news of Jesus is so important. How can Jesus be generous to us every day? First, we take a survey of his stuff that he's given to us. Go home later after our party. Write down all the things that God has given to you. Right? What do you have in your asset portfolio? Count everything. Count everything. Survey of his stuff. Secondly, begin to build a budget. Some of you have a budget that is like in and out. And as long as the out isn't over the in, then you're fine. But then you're like, oh, but I have a line of credit. It's like, that's not what the line of credit is supposed to be used for. Oh, but I have a credit card. That's not what the credit card is supposed to be used for. Live within your means. Live within your means as much as you possibly can. Make a budget. Make a budget. That's going to take a while if you've never done it. Ask me for help. I have a whole thing that you can just take a Google document and begin working your numbers in. You need a budget if you're going to be a good steward. Third thing, when you start that budget, start with the giving line. Don't start with like, yep, Netflix, got to make sure of that. Oh, $70 a week on like three lattes, got that. Like, don't start there. Start with giving. Here's what I'm going to give. Lord, giving should be sacrificial. What's the giving that I'm really going to have to trust you for? And then build your budget around that. That means that you're going to say, oh, my food budget's only going to be this. That means no more you know, movies out, we rent movies. That means like, and we think these are travesties. We think these are, you don't go to the movies? It's like to take my family to the movies is like $80 just to get in. And then popcorn, it's like, do you know how many kids we can feed with that? Do you know how many church planners we can support in India by stopping going to the movies twice? It's like there's, and I'm not saying going to the movies is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I already ruined a movie for you. So I can keep ruining things for you if you want. But we, We should feel this. We should feel this. And then the giving line, we we do two things. We look at our local church and we look at by chance generosity. I don't have time to unpack all of the local church stuff, but clearly in scripture, people who are preaching and ministering to you should be taken care of by the church. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so true. So we as a church need to own that. We've been growing in it very well. We need to own the expenses of the church and not be looking for outside support. And we're growing quite well in that. It's amazing. The Lord has been very generous. Here's the thing about our church. When we started it, we started, I think, with about 18% that immediately came in, we were giving away right away. You know, we were like the child that receives the $2 for their tooth. And we're like, yeah, 45 cents is going out or whatever it is. Why did we do that? So that when we got to this point, we weren't like, oh, should we now start supporting outside stuff or should we do another internal thing? No, that percentage is still basically the same. We're, we keep giving away so that people in the city and around the world can know Jesus. It's not just about ourselves, And we'll actually suffer as a church so that other things in the world can move. You need to know that. Like we have, every one of our staff is part-time. 
They're working another job because we can't afford them. And they're doing that so that other things can happen around the city and world. Some of these guys are godly. Well, all of these guys are very godly men, but some of them are, no, all these guys are really godly men that are leading and godly women that are leading in this way and are, are not taking salaries, what they could get somewhere else. I mean, Brian Stegner is freakishly gifted. Dude is easily making like three figures, like high up somewhere else. And he's not making that with us. Why? Because he's like Zacchaeus and looked at Jesus and says, you're so much more valuable than what I can make out there. So he's serving the church in this way. But start with your local church and just know that we're being generous in giving things away. And then the last one is by chance generosity. Put in your line item in your budget, when I meet someone that needs lunch, I'm gonna pay for it. And here's the money to do it. When I meet someone that comes to me and says, man, I'm really struggling with being in debt. And some of you can't pay all of their debt off, but some of you could, right? Imagine my grandfather, I became a, a, a Christian. Uh, I moved into their house. I was full of debt. Like I partied like crazy, traveled, did all this stuff, $20,000 of debt. And I'm just like, oh, grandpa, like I can't go to this Bible school because I have this debt, but that's okay. I'm gonna work really hard. I'm gonna do this. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm gonna pay it all off. And that, like, that struck me. I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to pay it off. And then he preached the gospel to me. Like, here's what the Lord did for me and what he did for you. And I want to own this burden so that you're free to be able to do this. So I was able to get started in ministry because my grandfather just took my debt and is gone. And some of you here could do that for other people to be able to do that as well. But you can pay for people's lunch. You can meet needs of people. You can pay people's debts. You can host. You can invite people into your house. But be ready for when the Lord brings opportunities for you to be generous. But it takes pre-work. You have to decide you're going to do it before it happens so that you're ready to be able to accomplish that thing. So the question we wrap up with is this. Are we ready to relinquish, relinquish control and embrace stewardship? Are we ready to relinquish what we thought money could give to us and embrace the Lord for who he really is and what he can do for us. Do you respond to this sermon like a rich young ruler? You're like, oh man, I can't do it. So I'll just, I'll pretend that Jesus is this way and I'll just keep living this way. Or do you come with a heart like Zacchaeus and you're like, Lord, wreck me. Wreck me, take everything that's yours in whatever way you wanna do it. Like I'm ready this morning to be generous the way that you want for me to be generous. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that Church 21 would be a church where generosity overflows, where the city would be able to say, I'm so glad that that Church 21 is here because they're so generous to the things that are happening in our city. That people in, in India would be able to say, we're so thankful for the way the Lord's moving in Montreal because he's blessing us through their investment in what we're doing. That, that the city would truly be blessed and find welfare because this church is here. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord, you are, you are a great God. You are so much better than what money can give to us. Money couldn't buy us you. Money couldn't buy us uh, rescue. Money can't do anything for us. Money is all yours and you do things for us through it. 
So Lord, would you help us to be a very generous people? Would you cause us to uh, love you more than we love riches? Would you cause us to need you more than we think we need riches? Would you cause us to delight in you more than we delight in money? Lord, would you cause for our hearts, maybe we came in here very calloused and not wanting to give anything, and now have hearts that are ready to give away everything. Lord, would you make us a very generous people that display your generosity to this city, a city that's so far from you, that wants nothing to do with you, that thinks that you're a God that just sends them a bill for 10% of their income because that's what's written into the history of this province. But would you rewrite the history of this province? Would you cause for this province to be a place where great generosity flows out so that the nations would know who you are and be glad that we would taste and see that you are good and that our hands and our pocketbooks and our wallets and our accounts and our investments would be open saying, Lord, here's more of it. Take it. What do you want to do with this? Would we be a generous church? We love you. We need you for everything. Amen.